Hi everyone. Just a few brief words tonight to give a title to this um, talk. Um, let's call it True Being and False Self. Uh, as I was mentioning before when we were sitting, um, a Zen life would be a life where we're just open to each moment as it arises. Um, not holding on to it, not rejecting it, not judging it, and acting accordingly. Um, that's what our aspiration is in practice. But most of us um, don't really do that. Sometimes we have moments where we let go of all of that and we just come into experience as it is. But one of the things you may notice if you do Sasin for long enough is you become um, aware that you don't do that. And that's fine, that's part of the process of practice to realise that. It's not, not a, a, anything to do with any failure, it's to do with the practice working that you can realise that that's actually occurring. But what happens for most people, or people really, is that we have um, um, painful things or unpleasant things that happen to us in our life and they accumulate over a period of time. Um, and we lose that sense of that openness towards each experience. And out of that emotional pain, usually, and there's physical pain too, but emotional pain can be, can be difficult. Out of that we um, create some kind of contraction around it. Physically we create a contraction around it. And mentally we create a contraction around it and we dream up some kind of story around it and we become attached to the story and attached to the contraction as so that's kind of normal, that's what we are and that's where the false sense of self arises. So there's three things that happen um, which expend a lot of energy. There's the original pain, there's the contraction around the and then there's the defending of that position, mm -hmm. trying to shore up that position all the time, you know, to defend against life. And for some people it's kind of like a defensive, predominantly defensive kind of, you know, posture towards it. And for others it's an, an aggressive one, but it's coming from the same place. Anger it comes from fear and threat. It's all coming from the same place. And um, what we're usually doing is we've already got an assumption or a story and then we create a, a counter story you know, to try and get out of it. So um, it might be that we think there's some kind of weakness in ourselves and uh, so we'll try and be strong you know, to overcome the weakness. Um, by either identifying ourselves with Christianity or with Buddhism or Islam or whatever it might be. One of the um, readings which I chose, which is in our book, which I, I, I really love, that's why I put it in there, is that one by John Wellwood, Power and Vulnerability. So much wisdom in that and that uh, how we really do create this kind of shell around ourselves, a defensive shell to protect our vulnerability. 
spend all of our lives doing that, thinking that that's what strong is. But the whole process of meditation, if you do it for long enough, you start to see the shell, and the shell starts to drop away, and you start to move into openness, you know. And moving into openness is moving into vulnerability. And if there's anything that's really, you could say a lot of things are at the core of practice, core of practice, but what's on my mind at the moment is this is really the core of practice, is to be able to, instead of trying to defend that kind of vulnerability within yourself, is just allow it to be. Allow the shell to drop away. And then when you just stay with the vulnerability to the openness of each moment as it comes, whatever it might be, that, that is the dropping away of the, of the false self. That's, that is the act of opening up into true being. And as John Lillwood says in that, that, uh, that uh, little essay, <coughs> is that when you become open to that vulnerability, that's where you'll find your true power. It's not actually a powerless place in a sense. It's a kind of powerful place because there's nothing to defend anymore. And as he says too, is that um, it, that that tender, vulnerable place is the kind of um, that's touching place with the birth of um, bodhicitta, which is kindness or compassion or unconditional kind of love. But what happens with the expression of love or the cultivation of love with people who often take up? Um, a spiritual practice, again, whether it's Buddhism or Christianity or whatever, is trying to live up to an ideal of love. You know, it's like recognizing that I'm being narrow or egotistical or limited in some kind of way, and now I've got to be a loving person. And it's kind of like a variation on the story of weak and strong, and strong will prevail, and love will prevail. Um, but if we approach it in that kind of way, um, then we act out of a kind of a false love. And uh, one of the books, which was a, a favourite book of my teacher, Joko Beck, was the, was the writings of um, um, Hubert Benoit, who was a um, psychiatrist, who was outside of the Zen tradition, but they had the same kind of insights through his own experience in life. And he outlines some of the ways in which um, love becomes apparent love rather than true love that comes out of true being. And just to name them, <clears throat> one of them he calls the projection of the ego. And this is where we believe in something that we think is greater or better than what we are, whether it's a god or a guru or a teacher or whatever. And we project our own ego into that identification. Um, and it's a kind of love which is there, but it's an apparent love, because at the centre of it is still an ego kind of projection. Another one he talks about is identification of the ego, and he gives an example um, of a mother towards a child. Mm -hmm. um, that's my child, so I love that child because I have an identification with it. Now, I'm sure all the mothers will say that's a natural thing to do, and it is. You know, you have a responsibility to look after your child. Mm -hmm. But to make the point more clearer, 
what if a person's experience is that's my child because it looks like me and so on, but I don't care about other children in the world and I'm interested in that child. That's a, that's a limited kind of love and an egocentric love. Another one he talks about, um, which is probably the one of couples that have just fallen in love, is a kind of mutual egotistical love or a um, mutual admiration society, um, folly à deux, maybe, uh-huh. where there's a kind of mutual kind of ego love that goes around and around and around. Again, apparent love. Another one that he identifies um, is being loving and wanting to cultivate love because that's what nice people do. It's kind of aesthetically pleasing to my ego that I would be seen as a loving kind of person. Mm-hmm. But then it's still it's like another story that we add on top. And, uh, and lastly, a kind of apparent love that comes because our ego is satiated or satisfied in some kind of way. So I, I get a promotion to be the general manager and I feel really good about myself, so I'm very generous to everyone that day. Mm-hmm. That kind of love. Mm-hmm. But as Hubert Benoit points out, a lot of the way through his books, and I think that he, he really understood Zen practice, um, is that there's a kind of trying to be, to be loving, you know, to be trying to be good. But um, until we really see through the ego structure and this kind of something bad that has to be replaced by something good process going on all the time, like the weak needing to be overcome by the strong, you know, or the unloving overcome by the loving, we're still in the struggle. And where true insight happens in practice is not where the love wins over the unloving or the strong over the weak, but it just drops away. The whole drama drops away. The whole struggle drops away. Mm-hmm. Um, the word in, in Zen, which has become a cliched kind of word, which I don't usually like to use, but the word Satori in Zen, which means kind of like a realisation, let's just say an opening, it down into plain English, is that when an opening occurs, that's what occurs like just as a dropping away of the struggle. And someone, I forget who defined that Satori experience as a letting go that endures. It's not like a temporary thing where something won out over something else, over its opposite, but a letting go that endures, where the whole system of opposition collapses. Mm-hmm. All of that is what is at the core of practice. Okay, anything you'd like to add or subtract or divide?